Hey everybody, it's Ushi. And before we get into the next episode of InfoSec Whiskey um, with Mr. John Strand, who is absolutely wonderful, um, I just wanted to get, give you guys kind of a quick update on what's been going on. Um, as you probably noticed, we haven't put an episode out in quite some time. Um, you know, oh, I'm working double duty, so you might hear Bubs in the background. Um, he's playing some kind of Hong Kong game. Um, anyways, like you may have noticed, we just haven't had um, much out lately. Um, this has been a rewarding and wonderful, but also a very tough year for us. Um, we moved up to the uh, greater Boston area and we love it here. Um, turns out that I have always been a cold weathered girl. I just didn't grow up in that. Um, so moving and getting Bub set up in a therapy school and um, like full time just getting all of that figured out and, um, dealing with all of the stress that comes with moving and, and those kinds of things, um, something had to be put on the back burner. And so it got just decided it had to be this and I just had to be okay with it. Um, but I'm super excited to be back. I have, um, I, it's been on my mind. I keep wanting to, to get back to, um, you know, podcasting and hanging out with my friends and, and sharing a drink and, good times. And so here we are. Um, we have a lot of really great stuff coming up for you. Um, real quick, I do want to point out that we do have an awesome new logo. Um, and we got, we, we were able to employ the services of Amos Catherine Ahern. And I'm going to put her information down in the show notes. Um, so that, because you guys, if you're looking for somebody to do any graphics design work for you, Catherine is the, woman you need to go with. Um, she just did such an amazing job based on so little that I gave her to go on. Um, I had this idea in my head, but it was very basic and it was, you know, I just wanted kind of a, I wanted something very basic typeset, you know, and, um, and Catherine, uh, thousand percent delivered. Um, it's exactly what I had in my head, but couldn't seem to find the words to explain to her. And Catherine just, Catherine just knew and took it and ran with it. And, you know, we delivered pretty much exactly what I wanted on the first, the first draft. And so, um, things went so smoothly and I cannot highly recommend her enough. Um, so Catherine Ahern and I'm going to put her, her info down below. Um, really quick. And then I'm going to get you into John Strand Cause I know like he was so much fun and I can't wait for you guys to hear from him. Um, we do have a website that we have open up now. Uh, be gentle. We, um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a web designer. Um, but basically what we're looking to do is start a blog and uh, start a YouTube channel. And what we want to do is we want to showcase you guys. Um, we want to showcase the community. Um, because I realized a long time ago that if you weren't the best at something, um, and there are other people who are the best at something, then you showcase them, right? So, um, what I'm looking for is anybody, anybody that wants to share their content, their original content, um, on our platform, um, to just give one more way for people to, um, you know, get that, uh, get that exposure. So it's your content hundred percent. Um, we do not claim anything. We just are sharing it. And, um, and so same goes for YouTube stuff. If you guys want to put together an instructional video, um, by all means you can do that. 
and um, and it can be submitted. Uh, there's an email to submit it on the website, or you can send it to ushi at infosecwhiskey.com, and uh, and we can get started that way. We do have a couple other people um, helping out, but for right now, that would work. Um, and then lastly, we just opened up an online shop. We have some really, really cool swag. Um, and we're adding more. So I like urge you to go check that out. It's swag.infosecwhiskey.com. We have shirts, hoodies. Um, we have, uh, both unisex and women's shirts. Um, we have just a, uh, gosh, what do we have? We have cups and mugs, socks, like we have a bunch of cool stuff. So, um, please check that out. That's swag.infosecwhiskey.com. And now without further ado, uh, let's get into the podcast. All right. Welcome everybody to the next episode of InfoSec Whiskey. I am your host, Ushi, and with me today is my regular co-host, Nick. And our guest today, um, I don't think we really need much of an introduction. I think everybody knows who you are, but our, our guest is John Strand. Um, for maybe my mom who might listen to the episode, we can let her know who you are, but I think everybody probably knows. So you're the owner of Black Hills Information Security. I always want to call it InfoSec. Um, Black That's Hills fine. Information right. Security. And yep. you, there's like a lot underneath that, but um, welcome. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate you not reading like like, like the whole bio. It gets really stupid. Yeah, um, <laughs> you, you, you. I remember once I was at RSA, and they uh, they 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 like really insisted that I have a bio, and I was presenting with Kevin Johnson, and my bio was just like a bunch of crap that I made up. It was like John Strand is the managing intern of Black Hills Information Security, and the person got up and read the whole thing in front oh of like 500 people. And I'm like, Oh my God, don't do that. Don't do yeah. that. Yeah. Cause no one cares really. So, you know, it's, right. It's Cause either they know who you are, they don't know who you are. And if they don't know who you are, like they only need a couple of sentences to kind of figure out who you are. Otherwise, if they know who you are, they're not going to, they're going to be like, I, I know all this. Let's get to the good stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so you are, so for those who aren't aware of geography, um, Black Hills is, is it just South Dakota? Is it South Dakota, North Dakota? What is the okay. area? So, so this gets into like a little bit of problems, right? So uh, the Black Hills are technically in South Dakota and Wyoming. So if you ever saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you saw Devil's Tower. That's technically in the Black Hills. And Wyoming's always a little bit touchy, a little bit touchy about, you know, South Dakota, Bogart, and the Black Hills, um, which makes things a little bit difficult. My wife's from Wyoming. I graduated from the University of Wyoming. Oh, that's a little, funny. Bit of, little bit of thing there, but but technically, it's Wyoming and South Dakota is where the Black Hills are. Now, which John, is weird because because, because I'm a West, customers. because I'm oh, a go West fucker, I'm going to tell you, yeah. Black Hills belong to South Dakota. <laughs> yeah, dude. In my family reunions, though, boy, they take that like they're like, but the coolest <laughs> thing is in Wyoming. I'm like. Ah, okay. This is important. This means something to you, right? That's so we just go with it. We got the no. It's like here, though. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay. So that I would rather we just like split and become part of Wyoming and just let East River just go to right, Iowa. right. They can have the rest of the flat state, and we'll just have, and we'll they be part want of Wyoming. To. I know and they want to anyway. Let them go. It's fine. It's fine. And for those who aren't aware, you guys are like neighbors, basically. 
close. Yeah. You live in the same area. Yeah, I'm, I'm the guy that you keep running to at the grocery store who has your hoodie on from Wild West Hack and Post. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Actually, you're not the only one. I ran into somebody that, that I thought was uh, Rick Wister up in Leeds. And I, I started giving him crap. He was like buying something. And I'm like, oh, what kind of person is that? And he turns around I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> you're different. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's cool. It's a small world. And we're giving mm-hmm. those hoodies out at like Salvation Army and Goodwill. So there's more people wearing them now. So right. it's absolutely really cool. It's great marketing. Weird, though. It hasn't made it to my house. So we'll have to figure that oh, out. Oh, we can fix that. <laughs> I, I love swag. I actually really like you guys' stuff because I like your um your your logo. So I don't know if you remember, and you shouldn't remember unless you're like have an eagle uh, elephant memory. We actually met briefly um, at the last Wild West Hacken Fest um, that was in person. Yeah, I don't remember so, crap. No, I wouldn't expect you to because I was like I barely said hello. I only stopped by because I wanted to be like hi thank you 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 actually sent us um the podcast infosec whiskey um when you guys first came out with backdoors and breaches oh you got it card game. that's cool yeah, yeah. You, you sent me you sent me one of these and then you also had them send a die which unfortunately through my move i have cannot find but um yeah. But yeah, I still have it. And we actually, and I think it was the, the first episode or second episode, um, we played a game and um, that could be an episode in and of itself. That was a ton of fun. And, and we actually- well, really If you want it, we can flip the script here. Like we actually have a full tabletop simulator and we invite people to come on and play and it's all virtual and it's cool. We just shoot an email yeah. to Deb and Jason and we'll set that up. We'll get you guys on and play it. I there. will, that would be, that would be so excellent. much fun. Yeah. Awesome. So, t- so, okay. So for people who don't know, like you really do a lot of stuff, like it's not just Black Hell's InfoSec. Well, I mean, you guys do a lot of stuff just under that umbrella too, mm-hmm. but like you guys are doing Wild West Hacking Fest, right? You have yeah. um, Way West, which is Wild West Hacking Fest in California. Yeah, yeah. Except it's in Reno this year. But <gasps> that's, yes, right. That's, that that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. My coworker was telling me he's going and oh, yeah, cool. so it's in Reno this year. What was yep. it, what made you guys decide to do that um, switch and do it over there? So the hotel that we, we want to run at in San Diego has some issues. Um, in California, it's really hard to see what's going to happen with, with COVID. And as you know, we were one of the first conferences to basically kill live training. When COVID, yeah. like seriously, whenever the Chinese like shut down like eight of the world's largest ports, yeah. that, that's whenever my wife and I and Velda, we were just spelled as our CEO of, of Wild West Hack and Fest. Uh, we're just like, okay, yeah, we need to shut this down. Yeah. So we shut it down and it was absolutely the right call. I mean, there was no question about that. But now that it's coming back, there's like this weird trepidation that exists. You know, you got yes. some people that are like, I'm vaccinated. Yo, let's go yeah. rave. And then you yeah. got other people like, I'm never going back into public again. Right. Ever. Yes. And with California, we don't know which way they're going to go. Uh, but the way I look at it right now is all of my employees that are going are vaccinated. Um, and, you know, I'm vaccinated. My kids are vaccinated. My wife's vaccinated. And if you're an adult, by the time we get to Wild West Hackenfest and you want a vaccine, you can get one. So, yes. it, you know, for this, as far as like me feeling comfortable doing this, we got to get back to normal at some point. I don't feel it's too early if everybody that wants to get a vaccine can come. And yeah. more importantly, and this is key, if you still don't feel comfortable, we're doing it hybrid. So you'll be able to do it online too. So we're trying to meet people where they're at with their comfort level. 
Well, and I think too, it's really awesome that we're doing these, that we're doing so many virtual um, or hybrid conferences because it gives people that wouldn't be able to afford a ticket out there the chance to, to attend as well. Oh, that's, and, and I love that. that. That's so huge with the pay what you can training that we started doing um, and trying to make our training as affordable as possible. Um, I, yeah, talk I think more that about that's, that. That was on my list of things yeah. I wanted to hear about. So it's all weird, right? So a couple of things. So whenever COVID hit a year ago, um, a bunch of companies had two choices. They, they could either get into a crouching defensive position, which means we're going to lay off people and we're going to try to ride this out. Or you could just be like YOLO, start throwing poop at the wall and see what sticks. And BHIS was poop at the wall, see what sticks. Um, we tried all kinds of things. We, we started up a security operations center. Um, we started up our training. We went completely full tilt with not just our conferences, but we helped like Pancakes Con and a whole bunch of other conferences besides nice. Copenhagen, uh, get themselves running virtually. And the, the cool thing about it is everything stuck. Um, so like the training took off and that was awesome. And when you talk about making it accessible for people, and this is kind of a weird thing and it makes people uncomfortable, but what the hell. Um, whenever we're looking at this industry, there's a lot of conversation like we need to get more women in this industry. We need to get more minorities in this industry. And I have absolutely nothing but 100% in agreement with that. What bothers me is how a lot of organizations try to go about doing it. Um, they basically sit down and like, well, we need more women, which by itself is creepy. Like if you're in a room full of guys and they're like, we need more women, where are the women at? Let's go get them. Hey, Ugg, grab your club. Let's go get women. It's like, this is a creepy goddamn conversation, right? right. Um, and then they try to do things and I think their heart's in the right place. We're going to do scholarships for minorities or women or things like that. And while that's great for the people that get those scholarships and it's great for the people that, you know, trying to do that, they have their heart in the right place. Doesn't change a thing. Like it doesn't change a damn thing in the industry whatsoever. So how do you actually change things in a dramatic way? And we realized the biggest gate to getting involved in security was education. And the biggest gate to getting education was money. So we started up the pay what you can. And it's basically, if you can pay 495, great. If you pay 195, awesome. If you pay 20 bucks, we appreciate it. You can pay nothing, awesome. Shoot us an email, let us know where you're at, where your goal is and your aspiration in life. And you get to come into the training class uh, for free. Meet you wherever you're at. That's so that awesome. gate is destroyed regardless of gender, uh, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status. I don't care if you're Pacific Islander. I don't care if you're Native American. I don't care if you're in Appalachia. Nick, where we live, there's a lot of really smart people that are basically working at minimum wage and they don't get these opportunities. So we right. do not care. And then they show up and they take the training and that's great. Um, oh no, so I, I, think I took full advantage of it. Um, absolutely. One of those people that's on my own dime. You know, I don't yeah. have the ability to have a company pay $300, $400 for a training class. So I paid $59.99 cause it seemed fair. Yeah. And you know, I yeah. watch a lot of television where they sell you stuff and yeah. it seemed like a good price, $59. But, yeah. $59. But, it, but, but it was a terrific class. And, and John, I, I just as somebody on the other side of that monitor, I absolutely freaking love the class. And, and I love the, it was a thousand people and um, it was incredibly well done. And I, and I really liked how you were able to address all the questions as they came. You have a good staff that was able to, I mean, yep. I got way more. It was a $400 class easily from yeah. what I, from what and, I paid for it. And, and, and you know what? It, it's kind of funny. You know, I come from the Sands Institute and, and 
people have this weird perception of like, well, John is fighting the Sands. I'm not. Sands can't sell two-day training classes to save their ass. They just can't. Um, and this is not meant to replace a six-day training class like the Sands Institute gives you. So I always tell people, Sands is my roots. That's where I come from. That's my family. And I look at my definition of success and the number of people that I get to the to get the jobs that pay for SANS training because that's success, right? If you're in the industry and you have a company that's gonna drop that kind of coin, investing in you and that type of quality product, that's yes. awesome. And I, I wanna be that on-ramp. I want that on-ramp to be smaller. I want it to be more inclusive. I want it to be easier and I wanna open as many doors as possible. That's so amazing. I love it. And I, I, I think that you, um, you really approached it from like the best way possible. And I don't know if you were for real about um, that you're putting the uh, BHIS uh, hoodies in um, Goodwill, but if you are, you need to stick a little card in the pocket that says, you know, go here, page. Yeah, just for like, you know, who's who's buying stuff from Goodwill? It's gonna be people that um, most likely people who can't afford or could definitely yeah. utilize that. So that's so amazing and I love it. What else? Goodness gracious. You guys have so much going on. Like you have blogs, webcasts, um, like that you're sharing information and your trainings and you guys are just kind of like a smorgasbord one stop of you can do a lot of stuff, right? Um, you have so many services that you offer, um, commercially, but like we have a lot, most, a lot of our listeners, we're, we're kind of, um, we have listeners all over the world and we have a, like a lot of people, I feel like at least the ones that reach out to me, um, are people getting into it and people who are new. And so, um, where, so if they want to look at your, um, page, you can training, is that right? Is that mm -hmm. how you call it? Yep. Page can. Um, where would can. they go? Just the BHI, BHIS website. You can go there or it's better just to go to wild west hack and fest, click training and that's go there. Right. And that has our entire awesome. training schedule. We're going to be, be splitting that off because we're realizing that training is becoming something more than the conference. Um, and Velda, like I said, she's, she's the COO of like wild west hack and fest and the training and she's brilliant. And uh, it, it's just this, this has grown outside of like Wild West Hack and Fest. So, um, but right now, Wild West Hack and Fest is the best place to go. You go there, you click on training, upcoming training schedule. It has our online classes um, uh, present and it's easy for people to get into them. Awesome. That's so cool. Um, so what else are you guys doing that you are particularly like proud of and, and well, excited about? So the backdoors and breaches thing, that's weird, right? Like, that, that whole entire thing is very, very, very strange to me because um, so we started with cubicles and compromises, which was an idea of applying Dungeons and Dragons to incident response. And right. we weren't the first. I mean, there was lots of people that, you know, the, that have been doing that. I mean, the best one, I think, is Bruce Potter's Oh Knows. I, I think he just does an amazing job of it. And um, there's a couple of other people that kind of came up with something similar. And we ran into an issue where whenever we were playing that game and more importantly, giving it to other people, that it was only as good as the incident master that was yes. creating the scenario. Yes. And the biggest problem for people is like, I don't know how to create a scenario. So um, there was another game that we created that was like shoots and ladders or Candyland that was called pivots and payloads. And that was a sans thing. Um, so I created this spreadsheet of like what the tiles would have. There would be red tiles and blue tiles and things like that. You could move up and like see all these things. And then Jason Blanchard and um, 
uh, Larry Pesci and a bunch of other people took that and they basically made it into this really cool poster that you can get. Once again, just didn't have that ability to make it accessible for a lot of people. So I was on an airplane and I was coming up from Denver, Colorado, flying home uh, up to Rapid, which is a 45, Nick, would you say 45 minute flight? Um, about 45 minutes. Yeah, and I sat down with a spreadsheet and I came up with the idea of uh, of this game where you could basically take an attack and break it down to four different phases. Um, initial attack and compromise, persistence, uh, command and control, and escalate and move laterally or pivot. And as an incident responder, you would draw a random one of those four types of cards to build the incident dynamically. And then there would be a bunch of procedures and it was all designed to be an education thing. So that took off, right? I mean, we were number one on Amazon educational games for like a week, which oh my gosh, you know, that's so cool. we have our niche thing, right? In this, in this security yeah. thing, and all of a sudden, you know, you're like beating out a whole bunch of education games that, you know, are, are like, it's like, this is weird. Like that's you're number so one on cool. Amazon. This is a bestseller. It's like, what yeah. the hell? How did that happen? And, um, so we got away from Amazon because they're evil. They take like 80% of everything and they, they're really weird to work with. That's a longer conversation. And we got our own store. Yeah. But then we had people start creating their own virtual online versions. Like if you go into Steam and Tabletop Simulator, we're actually there. Someone built it and we play that game regularly. Uh, awesome. There's, there's Very cool. versions written in PowerShell. There's versions written in HTML5. And it's funny because these people always reach out to me. They're like, hey, is it is it okay if I like, scan the cards to put it in i'm like well most likely i won't sue you <laughs> uh, but, but you know one of the things i think is core and you guys would kind of relate with this is if if you if if you truly have something you want to keep give it away right and you're out here you're doing this podcast you're doing this you know we're screaming out into the ether and every once in a while it comes back and to just have this thing boomerang and come back and all these people are using it in all these creative ways is really weird because like, you know, I look at my career and it was like, I was a SANS instructor for like 15 years from like a mentor all the way up, probably was closer to 17 from mentor to being a senior instructor. And you think that's it, that's it, that's the thing, right? That's how I'm gonna be defined. That's what I'm gonna put on my freaking tombstone. And now I'm kind of referred to whenever I go to what some podcasts like this, they're like, this is the guy that helped create Backdoors and Breaches with Jason and Deb. And I'm like, I'm now the Backdoors and Breaches guy, which is that's, so random, that's but so it's cool. funny. That's way better than how people recognize me because the first time I got recognized out at a conference, I was called the whiskey girl. It's all right. Yeah. I'm not just the airplane guy. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you want to be something, right? You know, you got to be something. And in at least industry, it's a niche. It's a I don't know any other whiskey yeah. girl out there on the Twitters. <laughs> yeah, especially in InfoSec, right? InfoSec whiskey. It's just, that's kind of what, and I, I love it too because it's like a mix. Um, where it makes sense. It's like, so does alcohol and security mix? It's like, yes, yes. <laughs> a thousand percent, it's yes. It that's really what does. we do to survive sometimes just to get through. Right. Oh, that's so funny. Um, so Nick tells me, like I could ask you so many other like InfoSec questions, but I, Nick tells me you're basically a farmer. Uh, yeah, well, so kind of, I guess. Uh, so I have uh, goats, pigs, chickens, cows, and dogs yes. and cats and bees. Um, but you know, so the cows we have are Wagyu and Milking Devon. If you played Oregon Trail, uh, the cows in Oregon Trail were, were Milking Devon cows. They were triple purpose. They were good at everything, but yeah. not the best at anything. And they almost went extinct. Um, so we, 
they're yeah, dying of died of dysentery, right? Yeah. Um, so we have those, and then we also have wagyu. So if you have people talking about Kobe steaks and stuff like that, those are the other cows that I have. Um, and my big thing, like the reason why I like it so much, is it's completely separate from what I do. And one right. of the things I'm constantly trying to fight is I've been around InfoSec a long, long, long time. And I'm no longer at the point where I'm like, oh, I'm not a luminary and oh, I'm not a thought leader. You know, I think that there's a lot of shit that we do to try to push that away mm -hmm. as kind of like a humble thing. But whenever you have, you know, taught like 10,000 people who are paying like $8,000 to listen to you, you've got to come to some realization of what right. you are and the impact you have in the world. And you got to take ownership for it. You got to be positive problem is you get your head really far up your own ass uh where you just you just start to believe all the crap in your head emperor's new clothes just don't deal with it but if you have cows and you have pigs and you're cleaning out a stall and all of a sudden you drop a whole bunch of manure and it splatters all over your face i don't care who you are <laughs> you're going to be dropped down to that lowest common denominator right. so having that type of hard work is really really important for me because it kind of level sets me that i ain't crap and that's important. That's so awesome. I have always wanted a farm. When um, Steve and I were looking at the house that we're living in now, um, he you know, would send me different things that he was looking at. And every time he sent me one that had a barn, I was like, listen, I will never say no to a barn, but I promise you, if you give me a barn, I will fill it. Um, yeah. When I was younger, I, got, I was lucky enough to um, have horses and I showed Western oh. pleasure for, for some years. And I, I love a barn. I love the smell of a barn. Now, I even love the smell, that faint smell after you clean it, but it still kind of has the manure smell because yep. it's a barn. Like I just, I love that. So you have bees. I want to talk I was about say, bees. First off on the barn, on, on having a farm, on the, I'm on the exact opposite end. The yeah. big thing I did in high school was every summer I had to work at a dairy farm. So I came home oh, every dude. day That's smelling horrible. like cow manure. Yeah. yeah. Cow manure uh, is mom, different, I think, than horse my manure. My mom would spray me down with a water hose before I could come in the house. So I'm <laughs> stripping down on my underwear as a teenager and getting sprayed down with a cold water hose before I'm even allowed in the house. So if you ask me if I want a farm, I'm like, no, I'm good. No. I've, See, I've and my had kids, it, yeah. are, they're in that range. So like we fenced, <laughs> so we fenced uh, the majority of our property. We have about 200 acres in the middle of the Black Hills. Oh, and so. just so you know, it's hard fencing, like driving fence posts into rock is no yeah. joke. It's all and, gravel uh, here. Yeah. So I've got like scars all over my arms from fencing and my kids have like scars on their legs and stuff. And my kids are like, no, no, because I love it. I love going out <laughs> and fencing and running fence lines and, and uh, driving posts and stuff like that. My kids are like, no, F that. I'm done. Like, yeah, once I'm out of here, I'm never doing this again. And that's, that's so cool. Funny. All right. So can I ask about bees now? Yes. That's so I bees. think it's so awesome. Right. Because like I, I, I love it because like, you know, for, I'm sure everybody knows, right. That there's um, like a lot of concerns over uh, the bee population and um, losing bees and how important they are to um, like literally everything. And um, so that's cool. So tell me about your bees. Do you get honey so from them? I, I, you, what kind of cannoli. I, I, so it's, they're my wife's bees and I, I I've got to be honest about that. So it's not, it's not good to come on a show and, and talk about marital problems, but we have a problem in our, in our marriage where neither of us tells the other one, no. Um, <laughs> so if I'm like, we're, we're going to start up a company and we're going to do this, you know, my wife's just like, all right, let's go. Um, awesome. And if she's like, I'm getting bees, I'm like, I am kind of somewhat terrified of bees, but all right, <laughs> let's go. 
And, um, and it's just like, it, it's just like this, this bizarre thing. So they're my wife's bees. So, um, and I always talk like my wife can go out and like open the beehive and check on them. And she's not wearing hardly any gear, even though she does most of the time wear gear, but she can right. check and be like, yeah, oh, there's bees there. <clears throat> oh. And for some reason, beekeepers just can't leave that stuff alone. They're like, well, I got to open up that beehive. I'm like, why? Like they're coming right. out of a little hole, leave them the hell alone. Well, I got to go and inspect them and make sure they're healthy. <laughs> no, you don't. You just don't. Right. So my wife can be a few hundred feet away from me and she can open up a hive and the bees will all come out and they'll be like all angry and they'll be like, ah, and then they'll come after me and like chase me around and I'll leave my wife alone. So that's, that's our bees. That's funny. I had a friend who um, owned an apiary back in Florida and um, they, they were very, um, what's the word? Like they took really good care of their bees. Um, they didn't, when they would extract the uh, honey from the, um, from the combs, they left the combs intact. And I learned a bunch about bees um, through our friendship that I never would have known. Otherwise I didn't know how like it's super, um, it's super stressful on bees if you take their comb because then they have to recreate that in order to store their honey. So um, it's mm-hmm. actually, it puts stress on them when, when we take that and, and use that. So um, mm-hmm. they had some kind of process that they were able to extract it using like centrifugal force um, to pull the, pull the honey out. So I find bees fascinating. Well, so- and it, you know, it's interesting, like I always tell stories about bees in my InfoSec classes. So um, if you're looking at like routing, you got open shortest path first and RIP protocols for routing traffic between two endpoints on the internet. And uh, Dextro is the one that came up with the core algorithms uh, that we're using variants of to this day. And um, what's interesting about bees is they, they solve the traveling salesperson product uh, paradox almost immediately. So if they have like 15 flowers that they're going to visit, they will visit them in the most efficient path every single time. And they can share that information with each other almost immediately. Oh, so, so there's cool. just like these wild, crazy things that you, you find out about bees when they're not stinging you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have one more question about bees. How does yeah. one buy bees? Can, um, like, can you Amazon so them? It, you, you, no, I don't know about Amazon, but it's like a drug network. Like, you know, whenever, whenever gotcha. I'm saying hypothetically, if someone was into drugs, right. you would know a guy or a lady that would have your drugs, right? That's right. just your connection. Um, and you would see someone else that's like doing drugs and you're like, wow, they have drugs. Oh, I like some drugs too. And then they would be like, I know a guy. He shows up at the VFW every Wednesday and hey, he, leave sells us the, out of it. He, sells, he sells the drugs at the back of his car right that's the way it is in the bee world like you you find out somebody that has bees and you're like hey i'd like to buy bees i'm like all right well i got this dude he's got some good stuff he comes from east river south dakota and he shows up at under the cover of darkness and you've got to be there at one o'clock to pick up these hives and um and then you can buy these nooks right the other thing you can do is you can order them online um and that's really 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 weird because you'll get this package and it'll be like live bees, which is like a warning uh, to postal people to like right. throw that as far away as they possibly can as quickly right. as possible. But um, the bees, whenever they come in, you'll get a queen usually. And uh, like if you have a hive that lost its queen, you get this queen and it's in this little wooden box that has like a, a screen on it and it's got a sugar plug. So what you do is you put the queen in this hive to requeen it 
but you can't just drop a queen in there because they're like, she's weird. We're going to kill her. And they do. But if you put the queen in there and it has that screen and it has that sugar plug, they start eating that sugar plug. And in the time that it takes for them to eat that sugar plug out, the pheromones from the queen have basically taken control of the hive. Well, not control. It doesn't quite work that way. Queens in a lot of ways are slaves to the hive, but that's a long conversation. But she's now accepted into that hive. So it's really this really fascinating, weird world of just weirdness that, that I, I'm learning yeah. about reading these books, but they still sting me anytime, anywhere the, where I'm at. The politics of bees. That's, the politics of bees. That's so Wait, Can you imagine the type of stuff it took to figure that out? Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and it's that's... not just something, it's not like who came up with this. And it's like, this is like. Who sat there and watched them? <laughs> who went right? through all this work? Did some of, guy like, show wow. up in a box with a sugar plug? Yeah. <laughs> who knows, right? Like, well, I noticed that this particular queen, if she sits there in a screen and she's there for like 24 to 48 hours, then that she's fine. And it's just, I don't know. It's crazy. It's really, really crazy what people do with bees. That's super interesting. All right, so on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, um, Nick had some questions for you about Rita. Did I? Did I? Oh, shoot. Yeah, Rita, I always, so. I, yeah, so about Rita, um, from what I understand, and I could be wrong, and I want you to correct me if I am, it's about probability of certain things in your logs, right? Is that how that went? statistics uh, yes no maybe so um so well, how about really, first what is rita yeah. so rita is real intelligence threat analytics and it's basically a platform that identifies beacon traffic in zeke logs so whenever zeke logs traffic it logs a con log it always logs a bunch of different logs but the main one that we look at for beaconing is the con log which says this is when this tcp ip udp um, ICMP session started. This is when it ended. This is how much data was transferred. And um, what Rita does can pull those con logs and it can identify patterns in those connections. So just to give you a quick analogy on how it works. So um, if you think about children trying to get a hold of a parent, right? Um, they'll try to get a hold of their mom or their dad when they'll go mom, 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 or dad, 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 dad. That's a beacon. It's consistent in its interval and it's consistent in its data size. Um, so Rita uses an algorithm called MabBomb, medium average distribution of the mean, uh, to do that, which is a cousin of k-means clustering. And uh, so it, the reason why we don't use k-means is if you have a child that's going mom, 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 that's introducing jitter, um, Rita's can still detect that jitter um, and a number of things, but that's how the mad mom works. So what it does is it looks for consistencies in the interval in between connections and the data size and a bunch of other things is what it's basically doing. Nick, did he answer your question? He did answer my question. Like, uh, because I, I did make a D in statistics. I, that's not a oh. brag, obviously. Oh, and, no. and so when I originally heard about how it was all put together, it sounded like it was following that path of uh, statistics in the log of what normally hits your percentages of what could be and then when things are outside of the normal variable. Yeah. And that's what yeah. flags things. And I found that very interesting because I've always been really big on um, analytics and how reality is constructed of our numbers and things like that. And I found that very well, interesting that you use that. So let's talk about that. So what's interesting is most human beings, whenever we think of time, uh, we're in the time domain. So what that means is I woke up this morning, I like got out of bed, I brushed my teeth. Um, uh, sorry, I'm about to go into like a Beatles song. 
uh, made the bus in seconds flat. I got my coat, grab my hat and all that. But you, <laughs> you think of things in terms of this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. That's one way you can look at our universe. All right. Um, and that's how human beings are actually wired to think of the universe. We tend to think of things as sequential events that happen. One thing leads to another. Another way that you can actually look at the universe is something called the frequency domain. Um, and what the frequency domain is, um, how often does something happen at a specific, let's say, interval? Or how often does a specific occurrence happen? Um, and if you're looking at like... Um, uh, if you're looking at like particle physics and things like that, um, you start getting into like, where is an electron? Like when we went to school, we thought of an electron going around an atom and that's not true. It's actually a probability cloud, which is type. Yeah. Of the probability of the location of it mm -hmm. is whenever we observe it. Yeah, exactly. So it's most likely going to be here ish, right? At these particular valence, um, uh, valence shells. But whenever we're looking at security events, you can do that same type of thing where you basically take an occurrence and you turn it into a frequency domain. And this is effective in security in a variety of different ways. One, finding beacons and network connections. Two, hunting for malware. So whenever you look at uh, people, they say, oh, I'm trying to find malware on a system. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack. Um, and if we're trying to find malware on 100,000 computer systems, it's like looking for a needle in 100,000 haystacks. And that's an incorrect way of looking at it. Instead, imagine that we did that as a frequency. Like there's software that's going to be installed on every single workstation almost, like Microsoft Office, Microsoft Word, Edge, Chrome, things like that. We aren't interested in that. What we're looking for is the software that only exists in a handful of systems, the onesies and twosies. And this gets into statistics and long tail analysis, which is frequency analysis. So we can use that in logs. We can use that in software to identify outliers in our, um, in our in possibly finding malware. And more importantly, we can do it in vulnerability analysis where we can do frequency. Instead of saying I have 100,000 systems with you know 20 vulnerabilities each and we're dealing with like a massive number of vulnerabilities, you probably only have about three, 400 vulnerabilities that are repeated on multiple systems. So you're looking at it as a frequency problem rather than a sequential problem that you have to deal with one at a time. And I can see how that could be way more useful than looking at signatures because signatures are a after the fact uh, lagging type statistic. You're absolutely right. I mean, if you're actually getting a signature, it means that somebody was popped with that before you and there's some value in that for your general run-of-the-mill malware, of course, right? That makes lots of sense. If we have malware that's spreading around all over the place, ransomware, signatures work great. But if you're looking at what attackers do, we at Black Hills Information Security are constantly revving and modifying our malware on the fly every single assessment so that signature is never going to work again. If you look at the techniques that we use, we're going to fail at a whole bunch of techniques and then we're going to find the techniques that actually do work and develop new techniques where necessary. So you're right. Whenever you're looking at that and trying to do just straight signature against a real adversary um, running at like a professional or nation state level, it, it kind of falls apart fairly quickly. Gotcha on that. Yeah. Have you guys been doing anything in the C2 space? Because the few people that I've talked to in the area, uh, in the clubs and stuff, they're talking about y'all are trying to put some stuff together about C2. So command and control, there's a ton of different things that you can do with command and control. So one of the things that you can do is you can bounce it off of social media sites. Like you can actually do command and control on Twitter. You can do command and control in Google. 
Um, you can do command and control where you're bouncing it off of domain fronting, where you're bouncing off of a domain fronting service and things like that. So really, anytime you're trying to be effective at command and control and security and you're doing research, look at what is going to be allowed out in an environment. Things like DNS, things like you know going to Microsoft, maybe protocols like Bits. Try to find those protocols that are going to be allowed outbound, going to places that are going to be acceptable, and then those become outstanding command and control methods. Um, so anybody that's looking for command and control, Joff has a whole class on creating implants and kind of going through and understanding these different protocols. Because if you're looking at Twitter, it has an API. You're looking at Google, it has an API. And if even Salesforce, the love of God, Salesforce has an API and you can use Salesforce as a command and control channel. So there's lots of opportunities. And this gets into the problem of security and the cloud and is it possible and just how much more difficult it's gonna be to start detecting malware and attacks in this kind of brave new world that we're moving into. I find that fascinating. I love looking at other ways for us to go hunting for malware and to alert on malware as it comes in versus the traditional methods that we've been doing. Um, because like you said, like just when you're doing engagements is no different than like, you know, even nation state actors, they're going to find what works and they're going to alter them slightly so that if not completely just, you know, to make sure that that they are still able to get in, that they're getting in without being seen. So yeah, I love that enough. research. I yep, love that research. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so where are we? We still have plenty of time. Um, so what do you guys, do? how has your, um, how has your um, company changed during COVID? You, I assume you guys are all um, remote. I actually, no, for what I, I was going to say, John, is like uh, because of the timing of Wild West Hackenfest last year, yeah. um, it seemed like the first conference that did the full remote conference. I mean, you guys can yep. totally wear that, that that little badge saying we were the first ones doing the remote conference. So, oh, I mean, that's do. a head start on that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny that question of how BHIS has changed due to COVID. We, so a lot of our contracts, they're like, you know, what are your different policies for uh, sustainability um, and things like that? And one of the questionnaires we get all the time is, what is your pandemic uh, continuation plan? And I'm like, at this point, if you're asking me, like, what is my pandemic continuation plan? It's basically, it worked. I mean, you know, whatever, we're still here, right? Right. Um, but, it, but as you said, we all we're remote anyway. Like um, we were ready to handle this pandemic from that side of our business, like right out of the gate. That's I mean, awesome. I, I don't think that it changed anything other than the way that we looked at marketing and outreach, right? So traditionally everyone's like, you gotta go to cons, you gotta get a table, you gotta bring swag, you collect right. emails, you do this. And we came up with a bunch of creative ways that we could actually do that. And like our outreach to the community ex exploded like by 120% last year, just because we were forced to think about things in a different way. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, like I said, there's people, you know, you, you, look at, you look at some people that are like MBAs and they look at something like this and they're like, well, we gotta lay off a third of our workforce and we gotta be into a crouching defensive position. Or you could just swing for the fences and just go for it. And that's what we did and it worked really well for us. And this also plays into what you were saying about availability. So there's a lot of people oh, yeah. that couldn't take a plane trip to Vegas or here or San Diego or anything else mm -hmm. to go to a conference. 
And here they are attending one online because they're able to, and they have the time to do it. Oh, right. And I don't think we knew just how badly we were closing certain people off in the community yes. by not even thinking about that. <clears throat> and, you know, it, it, it's just absolutely fascinating to me how many people are approaching and they're like, I, I can't afford a ticket. I can't do this. I can't do this. And for years, it's like, well, you got to be a DEF CON. You got to be a black hat. If you can't be there, well, it sucks to be you. You're missing out. Right. And that was something like 90% of the industry that couldn't come and hang out in our little clubs. And yeah. now all of a sudden they have a place and they have, they can do it. That's, that's huge. And that, that's really eye opening for me. on the And I think too, like some people, don't want to go to cons they 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 aren't in it for the oh. social aspect of it and they just you know they want that that learning and to be able to do that from home is so amazing well, and I, i'm gonna i'm gonna get a, you guys hate mail but i can understand why they're afraid of cons yeah absolutely um you know i i totally get it uh you know I'll, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna throw defcon under the bus here the goons there's the goon life and there's lots of people they're like goons forever and they love their goons goons are scary as hell like i didn't get into the defcon scene until much 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 later and i remember i was in line to get into a talk and um there's this goon that came by who i eventually met he's a nice enough guy and he's like all of y'all line up against the wall and get in tighter i'm gonna start bashing heads and i'm like really man like yeah. You're going to threaten me with physical violence. And I kind of got in his face about it. I'm like, you don't need to do that. Like right. that's unnecessary, but they always had that, that scary attitude. And they're wearing like military gear and all that stuff. And I, I got to thinking with, with, with Wild West Hackenfest, if you're someone that is assaulted or something scary happens to you, that's the last person you ever want right. to talk to is the scary right. person. So I get that a lot of these conferences, I get where that came from. I get that culture it's like a, a brother and a sisterhood and i get all that but damn is it frightening for a lot of people so some people just don't want to put up with that shit and i can't fault them for it and we got to be better in, in the conference community and i think too like i want to give a shout out for um wild west hack and fest that was actually the first conference that i got to go to in person um in in infosec and um i had such a good time. And it was because of Nick actually that I had gone. Um, Nick and I met and he was like, you know, he just kept talking about how awesome it was. And he's like, you know, it's, it's capped it. Um, at least then it was 800 people. I don't know if that's changed. I don't, th I don't think we can well, get much higher. Cause I mean, it was, we it. all, we it, all knew it was, it was a soft cap so anyways. Cause you say the yeah. cap is this, but people still showed up more. So yeah. I, I know, I know. But the, know. the fact that you're able to really, if, if you are extroverted enough to, to, um, you know, go up to people and say, hello, they have the ability to, you know, say hello to you or to say mm -hmm. hello to Dave Kennedy, or there was so, yeah. you know, there was so many big names in, um, in InfoSec that were there and, I, you know, you can have dinner with them down the street or you can get a yep. beer after it because it is so kind of, you know, so closed, not closed. Cool. It's so, um, it's so tight knit. And, you know, when I went in, like I said, I only knew Nick and I was coming from Florida. So I didn't know anybody in the area. And um, I was nervous as shit the first day. I just kind of walked in and Nick was like, sorry, I'm, Ooh. I'm helping out. So he left. Right. So I was yeah. like, all right. Um, I, I mean, you keep your volunteers really busy, John. I'm just going to throw that we out. We do. There. We do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of our community as a whole. And you, yeah. and you talk about Kennedy, you know, there was a point, I can't remember if it was 
the second to last DerbyCon or the last DerbyCon where it wasn't fun. And, you know, the first few DerbyCons, for a while I was just doing even DerbyCons because like airplanes and weird things were happening. But when DerbyCon was small, it was like this awesome community. And I remember I was sitting at a table and, you know, Dave would come by and then like JBO would come around and then Ed Scotus would be there. And everybody was just kind of hanging out and talking. And uh, Mitnick showed up. And, um, you know, Mitnick was like in the main area and was like signing autographs for like two hours. And it was just so cool to have that type of vibe. And then it started getting big and it started being not fun. And I remember, I remember seeing the change in Dave, right? Where he was getting more and more and more stressed out. And I could tell that him and his wife weren't having a good time. Martin was stressed out. And at some point it became not fun. So Deadwood for me is the point where it's never going to get much higher than 800 people. It, awesome. it just can't. We don't have enough rental cars. We don't have enough hotel <laughs> rooms. It's like this natural thing. There's not any we were... Ubers in Deadwood people. Well, I'm, I, okay, I am the Lyft driver in Deadwood. And yeah. chances are really good if I'm drunk, I'm not driving Lyft. So yeah. I, yeah. I hope that those that, are good chances. Right, right. right. I'm just not, saying, not if, that's just what yeah. happens is, is I tell people that too. They're like, there's no Lyft in town. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm the Lyft driver. And so- yeah. It was, yeah, but, we, we went to dinner with a bunch of people and we basically, I was like, yeah, y'all, we're not getting an Uber because our Uber's right there and he's drunk. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but the cool thing about Deadwood is it's all walking distance. It is. Um, yes. It's all easy. So I was at and, like the last hotel and it was only about a mile and a half walk. So it wasn't even. Yeah. And, and they have those shuttles that they painted over. Yeah. It used to say free shuttle and now it says fee shuttle. But it's actually oh, they just get funny. rid of the R. And it's, so it's like, well, and I think you get it. It's free if you have your um your badge on. Yes, and that so would take the oh shuttle. My gosh, so but we even do if all it's not, things. it's like two dollars. And it's funny because we talked to like the shuttle company, and they're like, we want to make it so anybody that's wearing a badge can travel in your uh. shuttle for free. And they're like, well, that's gonna be like hundreds of dollars. I'm like, done. Will you take a check? And they just like Deadwood had a real hard time grokking what the hell happened to it. And I remember we were talking to one of the hotels. I can't remember if it was the first one or the one that we moved into. And we're like, look, you guys are going to need a lot of alcohol. And they're like, <laughs> I think, I think we can handle it. Like we totally, I we totally can handle enough. it. We, we I'm like, no, no, no. You seriously don't have enough alcohol. And like, have you been here during the rally? I'm like, I have, you still don't have enough. Like you've got to, you got to be ready. Sure as hell. Like the first year we ran, it was the first year. I'm pretty sure it was up at the lodge. We ran the bar out of alcohol and the people that are running it are like, what the hell is wrong with you people? And then a bunch of us went running. They're like, you guys all drank all night. And then a snowstorm came out and then a bunch of you ran like six miles. Like what's wrong? And I'm like, security people were weird. And they know they know who is part of the conference and who's not because there's like there's like 85 people that live in Deadwood 24/7, yeah. right? So yeah. Yeah. you can you like going down on the trolley is fun as shit because you can just look around and tell who just does not belong there. And it's yeah. all and the they're hackers. all confused. And they're all confused. And I, I did try. Texas. Just so you guys know, I did try. I went around and I warned the places. I tried to set oh, them yeah. up. I, I live in town, so I live in Deadwood. So I was trying they to set everybody listening. up for that. No, nobody listened. They were like, they eh, listening. whatever. It's not, I was like, okay, all right. What made you choose Deadwood? 
Um, just because it's home. And I also, Deadwood's cool. Like, it's got that Old West vibe. It does. And it, it's just it, it's just this cool place. Like, you know, okay, so Vegas is Vegas. And I look at Deadwood as like this really kind of punk rock, grungy, dirty Vegas. And um, I, I don't know. I just, I just really I've told dig people, the vibe. I've told people that I, I didn't call it grungy or dirty, um, I thought it was like a, I don't know what the word I used, but I was like, it's like a mini Vegas and it's like yeah. such an awesome place because there are, you know, there's gambling, there's casinos, there's, you know, all of that yeah. that you can do while you're in town. It's gorgeous. Well, for us yeah. uh, Midwest folks, you know, this is our Las Vegas out here in the middle yeah, of the This sticks. is where we are. Uh, yeah, you betcha. We really like it out here. You betcha. Come on out, throw it on the stump. See if the cat takes a look. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. So, it's it, 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 but it, but it, it sucks now like there's some good things and bad things like we moved it back a few weeks so we're gonna have good weather and that's gonna be cool um but we're away from halloween like it was so cool with dead uh, weird i had we so much this. fun i walked down the street with joe gray and we watched all the crazy people dressed up oh. get in we went into <laughs> we went into a couple of clubs we saw some girls get into some fist fights it was oh. That was so much fun. Dave Kennedy dressed up like a Ken doll. Oh yeah, he did the Ken doll the year before. He did uh, a cockroach oh uh, my God. as Trevor. Yeah, yeah Trevor. But, and we might just keep up the costumes and just keep that rolling. Yeah. Or maybe we'll Why do not? a costume theme. So this year in Deadwood, the theme is Hack to the Future, and we're working on it. getting Kennedy's DeLorean. I was out. just gonna ask. And, yeah, I was and, gonna ask about that too. And we're gonna kind of stick with that old west, you know, steampunk, back to the future type thing. And I don't know. I, I I think it's gonna be awesome, but I want it to be strange, right? Like, I I like weird. I like like not, you know, there's there's weird, and then there's like holy crap, what the hell did I just come into weird? But right. I like 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 the the unforgettable kind of weird, and that also goes back to DerbyCon. I mean. DerbyCon in those early days, up until like the last two years, it was it was weird in all the right ways, and then at the end, it got weird in all the wrong ways, mm -hmm. and it got like this this territorial uh, vibe of different factions, and I'm like, yeah, I don't want that. I don't want. Now that that's anymore. that's one thing I can say about Wild West Hackenfest is because because of that conference and the way that it was and the way that it was structured, you know, I'm, I'm talking to Larry Pesci and Jeff Mann. And those are the guys that, that mentored me and said, hey, you know, you're, you're talking about some neat stuff, put that into a talk. And yeah. I would have never put that stuff together to put into uh -huh. a talk. I get to speak at RSA this year because of it, but and I would have never ass. done that. It wasn't for like them. You remember whenever you got done presenting, it was just like, well, that should have been a keynote. Um, <laughs> you know, but, that, but that's also right? the other thing with that whole thing that I love about the new speaker workshop and kind of getting people up and getting their presentations and doing these things and having the conversations with people is, you know, like there's so much of this, like, you know, we get into this thing where I can submit a crap talk and I get accepted at like RSA or something like that. And you can have somebody that works really hard, but they're not known. It becomes like, for lack of a better term, it becomes this like good old boy network where it's just like mm -hmm. always the same freaking people. And I, I don't want that. I want some of the same people to show up. Like Kennedy's going to show up. Malware Jake's going to show up. Like there's just, you know, like Ian, anytime she wants to come, like she's absolutely going to show up. But I want to get some new blood and get some new like people that we haven't seen before because there's some cool stuff that gets ignored. I always use the story of Tim Adine. Uh, Tim Adine with Kerber Roasting. He got rejected from like ShmooCon. He got rejected from DefCon. He got rejected from Black Hat. I'm not sure. I think he got rejected from DerbyCon 
And then Dave got a hold of it and literally called up Tim and was like, so seriously, what the hell did I just read? But Tim's curve roasting fundamentally changed the way that we do internal pen tests. And he got rejected a whole bunch of times. And that's just because he didn't have this name in the industry. Right. And we need to get past that. And, and but, just for people who don't know, like, cause I remember Nick telling me like, when you go through the new speaker workshop, like it is an actual workshop. You guys mm -hmm. give input and, um, you know, are really kind of mentoring those new speakers, which I think is so awesome because not only are you giving them a chance, you know, to present their, their ideas and their, you know, their research or whatever it is they're doing, but you're also giving them kind of the tools to be able to be successful at speaking in front of people. Cause it's really two different things you're doing, right? Like you have, you may have the greatest ideas, but if you can't articulate it well and give that to an audience, you know, it's difficult. Not everybody can be Nick, you know, cause Nick is yeah. just like so animated and it's a mental disability. Him, but... I told you that I don't <laughs> have a personality. It's all mental disabilities creating that. Like, that yeah. is. Does it terrify you to get in front of hundreds of people? No, something's wrong with you right this way. Sir. Yeah. It makes um, me, it makes me high as hell. And I love it. It does. It, it does. So, okay. So there's a couple of things about that, right? So if you go through a new speaker workshop with me and I, I do it like murder board style, there's, there's going to be a strong possibility. There's going to be like, John hates me. I did awful. Oh my God. And th there's a couple of reasons why I do that. Um, and and I, I like to give honest feedback. You have people that'll be like, um, 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 stop. Just don't do that ever again. Take a breath consciously, give yourself a second and try to give them ways to get over it. But I think that part of the problem is we, we kind of coddle people. It's like, you did great. It's like American Idol, right? right. Um, you have Paula Abdul and they're like, oh, you did wonderful. No, they didn't. Right. Uh, they didn't. You know, we want to be more like Randy where it's got some like absolute truth and ways that people can get better. Right. And that, say, that's the only way you're going to get better. Yeah. And, and at the Sands Institute, uh, Ed Scotus actually started the murder boards right whenever I first started teaching conferences. And it was brutal, like to have Ed Scotus and Eric Cole and Rob Lee tear you up one side and down the other while you're presenting, just being an absolute nightmare train wreck to you. It, it basically got you to the point where you learned how you failed and you learned how to equip and deal with that. And then I continued the murder boards at Sands for a long time. And there was a bunch of instructors that were like, you know, they hated me. They like, I came up and I did a murder board with John and he made me cry. I literally made a couple of people cry. And um, all of them were like, I'm a much better instructor for it now. And I don't do it to be mean. I do it because if you're gonna present, you better be ready for people like, you know, making fun of the way your head shaped or the way you use your arms or whatever. You got to be ready for that. And you got to be thick skinned and ready for it to happen. And it, it just gets, you just get better. And then if, yeah. of course, Sans got rid of that, that really mean murder board. Now they have a kinder, gentler, precious snowflake way of doing things. But I still you know, have instructors like, hey, I need you to murder board me. I'm presenting and I need you to nice. kind of come here and just tear me up one side and down the other. And uh, honestly, we do that because we want people to be the best that they possibly can. And they got to know. A wrench, you can dodge a ball. You can dodge <laughs> a wrench. You can dodge a ball. And there's truth there. There's right? truth. Absolutely. That's so awesome. I, I love that. So a big thing that we always do and that I like to ask everybody um, talking about kind of like you know, new, new speakers, new, new people getting into this industry. And, um, 
so what would you, what would be your, if you had somebody brand new getting into it or trying to maybe transition to a different um, place, like, you know, cause there's, we have, there's so much, right. And then for InfoSec, um, what would your, what would your advice be to them? Uh, for trying to get into presenting at cons or just in security in general? Um, let's do both. So, uh, so I'm going to start with security in general. You've got to learn a coding language. Um, you have to, uh, and, and there's a lot of people like, oh, I don't code, but I do OSINT. There's tons of people doing OSINT, right? And there's some really amazing OSINT people out there. And that's not a differentiator right. as much as it was. You've got to learn how to code and you got to learn the fundamentals. I got this presentation, your five-year plan um, in information security. And it's all about learning TCP IP, learn operating systems, learn applications, learn how to develop, and then start GitHub repositories and start sharing with the universe. And that may not be like people are going to come to you and be like, wow, you wrote this tool. It's amazing. Here's a job. We're going to hoist you on our shoulders and carry you forward into the sunset. That's not how it works. But when you apply for a job, if you have writing on Medium, you have a blog post, if you have tools that you've written that we can look at, those, those resumes go, they're top shelf resumes. Whenever it comes to presenting at cons, it, it's kind of hard for me to admit this. Like I, I said, it's a good old boys network because it is. And I think that anybody that tries to say otherwise is doing a disservice to the people that are coming in and understanding what they're actually going up against. I, I think that we have to be honest with ourselves. Uh, if you have cons, I hate it. Cons are like, well, we do a blind call for paper submission. No, they don't. Like most of the time they say that and then out the back door, they're inviting a bunch of us that present constantly in the community. They're like, hey, John, come, come, come and submit and then we'll get you in. Um, or we're just going to get you in. You don't even have to submit. So there's this there's this network that exists. And yeah, for lack of a better phrase, we're going to call it a good old boys network. So one, understand that that's there and accept that fact and then go punch it straight in the face. And what I mean by that is, you know, get out. And if you have to present on YouTube, like set up a webcam and start presenting, do it. Um, start up, a, you know, a little blog uh, webcast, you know, whatever it takes, just get out there and start doing and giving back to the community. And, and it doesn't matter if anybody's listening or not, they will, they will, but you get out there, you start presenting and you present at like small little security things like HTCIA, Asaka events, InfraGuard events, just get out and try to present as much as you can in as many places as you can. And you're going to do, you're going to do well. I always tell the story of um, Henry Rollins whenever I met him. Henry Rollins is the lead singer of Black Flag and just a force of nature in and of himself. And um, he knew Joe Gordecki ran SST Records uh, for the people at Black Flag for a long time. And Joe Gordecki came out to Laramie, Wyoming to write a Western because he wanted to get a Western feel. So he came out to Laramie, Wyoming, get that Western feel. And he invited, he got people at the University of Wyoming hooked up with Henry Rollins. Henry Rollins came out to UW. And I did sound engineering at the University of Wyoming, so I was able to meet him. And um, Henry Rollins, you know, was asking questions, kind of an intense dude. And uh, one of the things he said is like, so what's the music scene like here? And I was like, ah, oh, the music scene sucks, man. There's like, there's like no place to play and all this stuff. And he got kind of mad and he was like, F you, man, make your own effing scene. And his point was, it doesn't matter where you are. Like, if you got to play in a buddy's basement, do it. If you got to go play out in an alley and get shut down at two o'clock in the morning and get arrested, do it, get in a van, go someplace else. It's just like, go out and make your own scene. And if you're waiting for a review board to accept your paper and you ascend into the heavens, that's not going to happen. You got to get out. You got to make your own scene. 
and you just got to attack it as much and as often as you possibly can, and you'll get recognized. You absolutely will. And the other thing I want to get across to everybody is I'm sick and tired of the security industry of being wizards trying to impress other wizards. They're like, well, I can't present because I don't have anything lead or cutting edge. Who cares? You have experiences. Get up and, and present on those experiences and those stories and those narratives because that's how we learn as human beings. Like if we, if we give a talk that's really super technical, we get like 600 people at our webcast. But if I'm like core security essentials of securing a Windows 10 system, we get like 3,000 people register for that. So people are craving those basics and fundamentals. Get out there and give it to them. And I think too, it's important for people to remember two things. One, like the more that you do the things you were talking about, just like present on YouTube, present in a podcast, present however you can, your blog, get your stuff out there, however you're doing it, you're going to get better with your craft as you go because you're putting it out there. So by the time you get to the place that you want to be, you're, 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 it's going to be more polished than it was, you know, to, to start oh. with. Oh yeah. And you got to go through that suck to get to the good. Right? Yeah. You have to get through that suck. Like, you know, I, I remember I was at uh, Black Hat with Paul Azadorian um, when we were presenting a number of years ago, we were in the speaker's room. It was kind of funny because Marcus um, was there and um, he, uh, he had all these balloons that had the faces of uh, God, what's the mask guy. I forgot his name. I just completely oh, guy uh, Fox mask balloons. Yeah. So he's blowing up these balloons and uh, we're, we're basically kicking this stuff out and like blowing it up. And it turned into a big news story that, you know, anonymous is present at RSA, which, which really wasn't what it was. Um, but Paul and I are sitting there and we're hung over. And uh, there's these two guys that are like going over their exchange points. They're like, so at this point, I'll say this and then I'll hand it over to you. And then you take over from here. And they're like annotating it. And Paul and I are just like, what, what, what the hell are you guys doing? And they're like, well, we're setting up our, our presentation and how we're going to share and what we're going to do. We're going to trade off our points and all this. And we're like, well, what, why? And like, well, what do you guys do? Well, we, we go up on stage and we talk. Like, you guys don't have it mapped out? No. But Because it's so you know, much more interesting that way. Well, it is, right? It's more interesting. But also, at that point, I've been doing it for eight years. So well, unfortunately, you know, it, it, I did. I did take your advice. You talked about drinking heavily and then going on stage and speaking. <laughs> oh and, my god! Uh, Ushi could attest for this for what I did for that first talk at Wild West Hacking Fest. I was yeah. nervous as hell leading up to it. Just took two shots and went. And, yeah, and, and two is the max. I do have, but I do have years. But I do have. You know, being in the military, we have to give presentations all the time. It's just part of the job. Mm. So yeah. I have a lot of experience. And, and and that was the only caveat. I was like, yeah, I could do that because I'm used to being on stage. It doesn't make me nervous at all. Uh, you know, uh -huh. they even did televangelism when I was a kid. That's different stuff altogether. But it's, it's actually not that different. No, Those skills are transfer transferable, man. If anything, I think that prepares you for like the murder board. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it yeah. probably does. It probably <laughs> does. So it, it's just, I, I just want more people in the industry. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I, I like more different, weird people. I like people that are different from me from political, in the yeah. political spectrum. I like people, you know, it, it's just, just think of the stories. Like, you know, you talk about cons and you talk about getting there and the people that you meet. And I think sometimes we get a bit too tribal and like, we try to 
fight and define the other, but I, I've always liked strange people. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, Paul Henry is a seance instructor. If, you, if you've ever seen him present, you'll never forget him, right? The dude is like a pirate. Like, he's an absolute, he's, just, he's, he's a legend. Um, him and I are very different people, like very, very different people. And the dude is intense. He's insane. He's never boring. And yeah, we may be very, very different people, damn, I miss him. Um, and I love him. And, you know, you, you got, you got people like Ian Coldwater who came and did, uh, the, the keynote last year, or the last live one that we did mm -hmm. and just knocked it out of the park. And yep. she was so nervous before she, um, before they went on stage. And it's just like, what do you, what do you want? Do you want everyone to agree with you? Do you want nothing but everything looking the same everywhere? That crap's boring. And yep. I, I really like oddness and the more well, we can get diversity, the better. I think to, to, to the point that you made earlier about um, people who feel like they don't have something to present at a con, um, you know, we have so many more people, at least that's coming into, into my world, in, in my vision, that are from different backgrounds in InfoSec, right? Like people mm -hmm. who didn't go through, you know, IT in the traditional um, path that you get to InfoSec. Um, I started in law enforcement. So speaking from the previous LEO, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I started in law enforcement and then I, I got into digital forensics and then um, I ended up as a SOC analyst and, um, you know, just continued on from there. Like, and, and I think that people sometimes, like I felt like I did a lot of presentations in law enforcement, but I never felt like I, like I, and I enjoyed that. I enjoy sharing knowledge. Um, and I kept thinking there's no way that I can do this in InfoSec yet. Like it's going to be years before I have something worth um, sharing, but um you know, like I, I was a detective and I did, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things that I've, that I've, that I've done. And I think people just need to kind of look inside themselves. Um, the first presentation that I ever did um, was for B-Sides Boston. And it was, um, I did a presentation about um, uh, cultivating the investigative mindset. Um, that mm -hmm. was the reason that I got hired as a SOC analyst, why they picked me, because like I had basic network intrusion um, training. I had, you know, like um, I had decent computer training for my, you know, my forensic stuff. I don't know if I, you know, I, I mean, I guess I, I call it decent. I, I was able to be the, um, what is the word that they use? Uh, called a, an expert witness in, in um, at, you know, in court. But um, so like there, everybody has something to bring to the table, no matter where they're coming from. There's some way that you're using what you had to, you know, to do a good job at where you're at. So, and that may, that may be the thing, right. For people to, to share. I'm with oh. you. I love weird people. And, and, it, and it's strange because I, I think for a long time you were dealing with people that like I'm probably the more traditional um, archetype, right? You know, coming right. up through IT, getting into security, doing all these things. And I, I think that you get into this problem where it's like people like me are the ones that are making the decisions on a lot of these different talks and things like that. And you start getting closed off and being like, well, this is like me and I agree with this. So therefore I'm going to bring this in. And, right. you know, you talk about law enforcement, Let, let's be honest. There's really two different universes that exist in security and you have the offensive community and actually three, you have offensive community, you have defensive community, and then you have forensics and law enforcement and forensics. Like they, they, they generally 
kind of are doing their own thing and offense is doing their own thing. And that defense is kind of doing their own thing. And it wasn't until like fairly recently that we started seeing this kind of movement where we're all starting to work together a little bit better than we were, but I could see like you, you if we're going to a con and it's like, Hacker, 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 mushroom, mushroom. And you're like, I'm coming from law enforcement. I don't belong here. Right. And thinking that your voice is just something that isn't going to provide value. First, that, that thought process is wrong, but I can totally see how people would come into it with that process. Yeah, it I definitely, that was something that um, when I first kind of like get my, my Twitter started to get, it started to grow. Um, and there was so much anti-law enforcement and, you know, people don't know you and they don't know who you are. They don't know where you came from or what you did. And, um, and so um, I, there definitely was a concern for me on that, on that aspect. And um, I, you know, at this point, I've just been like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to be me and well, like me or don't, look, but look, right. Like I came from the cleared community and I, people like still, sometimes they rip on me and they're like, the CIA is a horrible organization and they do all of these horrible things and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, number one, you're right. Number right. two, I never did anything with the CIA. So let's, let's kind of move <laughs> past that. Right. Um, but it, it, I think it's, I don't know why people do that. Like if you look at law enforcement, there's a lot of good and bad that's going on right now in mm -hmm. law enforcement. And that people get these huge brushes. They're almost rollers yes. and they're going to paint that. And, you know, I've worked a lot of the same types of cases that you've worked. They don't know about some of the shit right. that you've seen, that you've had to deal with, that you've gone through. And just like the horrendous humanity that you've had to deal with and fought. And it's very, very, very difficult. To, I don't think we should ever paint people with those really super broad brushes. And you're right, in the law enforcement community and the hacking community, for years, like, spot the Fed, spot the Fed. Right. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, the feds are hiring and they have money. Um, so they had, to, they had to basically- yeah. Find them. <laughs> now they're all no, Space Force. Now they're all Space Force, right? Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I, I think that that goes back to that, that, that kind of diversity in- you know, being able to open yourself up and sit down across the table from someone and saying, okay, this person may be in intelligence community. This person may be in law enforcement, but they're a human being and I want to have a conversation with them. And if we can have a respectful conversation, let's have respectful conversations. Sure. And if you can't be respectful and you're going to go straight to hate and vitriol, then you probably just need to kind of take a breather and not have that conversation yet. Exactly. Honestly. Well, I also believe you're missing out on a lot of skills. We, we all understand that you're going to have that strength through the diversity, no matter yes. how you cut slice that diversity up, you're going to have that strength. And when you yep. negate somebody simply because of any of those things, you've already cut out an entire skill set that would be yep. there that doesn't exist. And you can't learn from those people because you're you going to need it. That. Yep. And you're yep. going to need it. And there's so many, and it's not just law enforcement, right? Like, I mean, obviously Nick is in the military and so, you know, and he does not have a IT or security position currently. Not to say no, he doesn't I'm, I'm have faking it. No, I told you I'm Probably. faking it. I've just gotten away with this stuff so far and I'm just going to keep faking it until I get where you I want to But seriously, there's so many people that I think that need to be given opportunities. I love that you're doing the pay as you go. I don't, I, or pay what you can classes. I think that's so amazing. And, um, and I think people need to continue to share that if there's other organizations that are doing similar things, those need to be put out there to the, to the, the part of the community that we need, right? Because there's so many people out there that I think can think critically, but 
don't understand networking, don't understand, um, you know, the building blocks of what um, IT security is. And, and when we get those people, like I constantly, like something as simple as like the people who park cars at like Disney World, number one, they know what true assholes are. They yeah. know stupidity and they have to use their brain to to, you know, move things around in such a way so that they keep everything flowing, that they, you know, are able, able to um, accomplish their mission, even if it is just parking cars. There's actually a lot of thought that goes into stuff like that. And you can always tell the ones who um, take their stuff seriously and actually are intelligent. And I, I wish there was a way for us to grab those people when we see them and say like, and, and now I'm going to send those people to yeah. your website and say, and go get training. Want, right. So we've got uh, a gentleman that works for us, and he used to be a trucking uh, controller, a dispatcher for a trucking company in Florida. And now he's doing like really cool threat detection and stuff. And I wouldn't have found him, right? Um, we have a couple of employees that were stay-at-home moms for a long period of time. And then they ended up making a career transition and like worked in warehouses. They worked their way up through a company. They were like some of the best pen testers that we've ever had. I, I, I just, you know, I, I think, you know, whenever we start closing ourselves off and we start saying, and it's cool in security because we don't have a path yet, right? So there's no defined path to computer security. And I hope there never is. Like in engineering, it's like, well, you're going, you get a four-year degree and then you're going to get your EIT and then you're going to get a test. You're going to be a PE and you got to study. Like we don't have that. And some people will say that that's a bad thing boy, I love it. Whenever I'm talking to somebody and they're like, you know what? I was parking cars and I saw this hoodie on this crazy dude in Deadwood. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I looked it up and it got me hooked up in this stuff. And um, now here I am running it. And, and, and I, I think that there's opportunities available to people if we just give them a chance. And there's going to be a bunch of people that won't be able to cut it, right? They won't have the time, the ability to dedicate uh, certain skill sets to it. And that's fine. But damn it, let, let's kick the gate down and let's try to get as many people into this field as we possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you said it like it's really all about um, do you have a passion to learn it? Because I feel like you can you can figure it out right? Like I, I work a full-time job and I have a special needs kid, but you know what? I figure it out. I figured out what I needed to do to get where I needed to be, to be able to do the podcast, like all the things, right? Um, if, if that's something that's important to you and you're not just trying to get into it because it's a lucrative, you know, place to be right now. Um, if you have the passion and you have the drive, then I feel like those types of people can, can do whatever they want to. Yeah. And I, and I, I just want to reduce the gates, right? Yeah. I, I just want to reduce the gates. And I know there's some people like, well, those gates are there to make sure the people that want it can get there. And you talk about, you know, there's this lady that was in one of my classes and somebody was making that statement. It's like, if it's important to you, you'll always find a way. And she's like, look, I work three jobs. I got two main jobs that I work during the week. And then I wait tables on the weekend. I've got two kids and you know, you know, how can you expect me to put that much money on my credit card for something right. um, and, and to be able to do that. I'm like, holy crap, this lady is here in my class, like right now, she's going to be someone's boss quickly. Yeah. And then those people that have that, you know, and let's be honest, like we all make stupid mistakes when we're kids. There's a ton of people that are like, you know what, I'm not going to college. I'm going to go 
you know, I'm going to go and be an actor in LA or something like that. And they, they do something like that, or they just decide that they want to work construction and that's cool for them for a long time. That's awesome. But now they're getting a little bit sore and they want to do a career change and they want to do something else. Um, those people and military too, right? People have a career in the military and then they get out. Those people that have worked their asses off and they understand work ethic, you give them an opportunity to come into security, oh, stand back. They're gonna show you some stuff. And that's that's been one of the coolest things that I've seen so far. That's so awesome. Well, we have kind of made it to the end of our of our time here. I'm, I could literally hang out with you for hours. So um, would you be interested coming back at some point in the future? No, first we're gonna get you two on a Backdoors and Breaches session. <laughs> That's oh, yes. fair enough, fair enough, because I've been wanting to play for a while, so. And we're going to do it virtually, and and we're we're going we're, we're gonna to make it a party. But yeah, oh, shoot yeah. an email to Deb and Jason, I will. and let's make that happen. But I, I got to get rid we'll of my family's we'll opinion. They're like, you need food. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I probably should. Eat food. Well, thank, right, you talk s- you both later. thank you so much, John. You later, John. I really it's appreciate you. you coming. All right, yeah. have a good day. Okie dokie.